Well, last week we started a uh, very short two-part series called Salt and Light. And, and uh, these two messages uh, on salt and light are, are so woven into one another that, with, that without the one, you don't fully understand the other. That's very often I do series and you can watch one or listen to one uh, independently but these two are really woven in together very tightly. So what I want to do today, for those that maybe weren't here last week, uh, or maybe you're watching online and you didn't see last week, I, I want to recap the first message a little bit, as best as I can, as quickly as I can, and then we'll get into the rest, rest of the text. So if you have your Bible, we're going to read it. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, if you want to turn there. And I encourage you to turn there. Don't just... Don't just rely on what I have on the screens or whatever, but uh, let's read the text and then I'll, I'll recap what we talked about last week and then we'll, then we'll finish off the, the message today. So verse 13, Matthew chapter 5, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill, hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, last week, all we covered was verse 13, and, and here's, here's what we said, basically, if you if, if you've heard the message about uh, being the salt of the earth before, if you've heard that preached, you've heard people say that salt is a preservative, so we should be a preservative society, that we should be uh, preservative against moral decay in our, in our culture. And we've heard that salt adds flavor, so we should add flavor as the church. We give life vitality and meaning, and, and salt is a fertilizer, and so uh, we provide an atmosphere of growth, and we make the ground fertile to grow in our culture. Or we've heard that salt makes, uh, creates thirst, and so we as the people of God should create a thirst for God when people are around us. And, and I, I want to make it clear, I believe that every one of those is absolutely correct, but I, I wanted to look underneath all of that and talk about the foundational idea of what it means to be the salt of the earth. And so we talked about a few things, and the first thing we said was that being salt is, is the spiritual act of inhaling. It's a spiritual act of inhaling. It's what happens when the Holy Spirit begins to work in us and chisel away in us. Anybody here ever get chiseled on by the Holy Spirit? I just want to make sure I'm not the only one. Or He begins to shape us, begins to mold us. And what He does is He changes us and makes us into the type of men and women who actually do those things, who do preserve against moral decay, who do make others thirsty for God, who do nurture growth. But the key is, it's about the person He makes us, and it flows from that. It's not about what we do as much as who we are. That's salt of the earth. But we spent the bulk of our time talking about the second part of that text, where it says that if salt has lost its saltiness, that it's worthless. And I threw out there, and I'll continue to maintain that uh, maintain this this truth because I believe it's impossible to empirically argue against it. But uh, th- that on the whole, evangelicals, we as Christians, have completely lost our saltiness. What has happened is that we say we believe, but we have not been transformed by what we say we believe. 
And, and so no matter what you want to look at, whether it's marriages or debt or how we spend our money or giving to charity, the church is really no different than the world. And you can empirically look across the board and see that we are either no better than, or in some cases, we're actually worse than those who don't believe what we believe. And the Bible says in the end, if you have mastered information, but you haven't mastered life, then who cares? You've mastered nothing of importance. If you can systematically and theologically unpack all the mysteries of God, however you've been completely unmoved and unchanged by them, then who cares? That's the way it is in many seminaries. Many, many seminary professors, and, and don't misunderstand me, there's some great spirit-filled godly men and women that are teaching in our seminaries, but there are many uh, men and women that are teaching in our seminaries that understand theology. They've forgotten more theology than any of us will ever know in our lifetime, and yet they have been unmoved by that, haven't had their hearts changed by that. You know, if that's you, then James would call you a hearer of the word only, and he would say that your faith is dead. So what happens when you, when you have belief with no transformation is that then as the church, you begin to play the part of the fool in society because we, we run our mouths, but there's no transformation to support what we're saying. And the result is that the church completely loses its place in culture. It ends up being disrespected. It ends up being mocked. It ends up being openly shamed. And we lose our voice and our influence in society even though what we believe is right and what we believe is true, however, there's been no transformation to which other people can point and say, you know what, look at the way they live. They must be on to something there. So instead, we say, we say things like, well, divorce is sinful, and yet the divorce rate within the church is the same or higher than the rest of society. We say, oh, you shouldn't lust, and yet our, our pastors, especially, it seems like in, in mega churches especially, just get busted for sexual sin. Just happened again this past week at uh, uh, Hillsong Church in New York. I probably shouldn't say names, I, but, uh, but that's, uh, you know, we, we have belief, but there's been no transformation. So we've lost our saltiness. We're worthless in the world. We're, we're, we're only worth throwing out and being trampled on my men. Now, you may not like that statement, but I don't believe you can effectively argue against it. Our culture has changed. You know, I, I pointed out last week when I was a kid growing up in school, we started every day in elementary school like this, and, and you remember this, we, we cover our hands, uh, no, cover our hands, we cover our heart with our hand, it would be a little weird covering your hand with your heart, it's, but uh, a little messy, we cover our heart with our hand and we'd say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, then those next two words, we said, under God. And that, I reminded you, that is one small piece of Christendom. And you may have heard that, that term, it's a, uh, that term Christendom, but that just means that the institutions of our culture under Christendom, they, they, they taught Christian values and morality even though they weren't teaching the gospel. And, I'm, and I, I pointed out the fact that Christendom is dead. Our, our institutions and you know, the institutions of our culture no longer teach Christian values and morality. There, and as a result, there is no moral compass anymore. In fact, if it weren't for, for these little fortresses of conservatism in the Bible Belt, we would be exactly like Europe today. So 
what I wanted to do in the last message was say, okay, you know, not just to say this is where we are, but I wanted to ask the question, and we asked the question, how did we get here? I didn't want to argue whether or not we were here because we are here. So how did we get here? And I thought there were at least five things that have contributed to our current condition. So I'm going to quickly cover the five and then we'll finish out the text. Number one, I think that there's been an emphasis on width rather than depth, which is, which is uh, simply said, uh, which I simply said was this. And what I mean is uh, there, there is an undue importance on the amount of information you know rather than being obedient to what you have actually learned. The fact is, most of us are educated, biblically speaking, we are educated far above the level of of our obedience. We know more than we actually live out. That's across the board in, in the Christian church. And almost all across the board, churches are saying, you need more information, you need more theology, you need more of this. And, I, you know, and I, know, I know there are certain guys out there that want to make theology out to be the bad guy. And I think that's, that's just as ignorant as, as the one saying that theology must be our savior. Theology in and, in and of itself is not bad, but an increase in theology, an increase of the study of God, an increase of that knowledge uh, uh, when you're unwilling to be obedient to the small things that we already know, uh, it, makes, it just makes it comical. Because what you're doing is you're simply learning more of what you don't plan to obey. So, so the church has this massive overemphasis on information instead of an emphasis on being obedient to what we know. This, uh, there's this great passion for width, but none for depth. That's, num- that's number one. The second thing was there has been an absolute disintegration of community. And I'm not just talking about the church here. I'm talking about culture-wide. You know what we have now? Now we have back porches. We don't have front porches anymore. You know what I mean by that? Somebody that's uh, lived, been around for a little while, you under, you'll remember those days, probably before uh, air conditioning, when in the evening everybody would go out on the front porch Everybody in the neighborhood would be out on their front porch trying to cool off, but you'd had this interaction. You had a community that was going on in the area. That doesn't happen anymore. Now we either stay inside or we go on our back porch and we build privacy fences because we got to keep the world out. I mean, we, we, we even got, I mean, listen, you come home and you don't even have to interact with neighbors at all because you, you pull into your house and if you've got a garage, you've got this button you push and the garage door opens and you pull into the bat cave so, and p- close the door real quick before anybody sees you. You know, we, we've this, had this, this disintegration of community and the, the truth is to, to grow deep spiritually, you constantly are going to need two things. You're going to need encouragement and you're going to need correction. We talked about that. You need encouragement when you're absolutely exhausted. Anybody here ever been spiritually exhausted? Anybody here ever been physically exhausted? Anybody here ever been emotionally exhausted? Anybody here ever been mentally exhausted? Everybody's like, let's just leave my hand up. I'm exhausted in every way possible. We've all been there. And, and, and you, we've been in that place. And listen, when you're so spiritually tired that you can't be honest about how spiritually tired you are, we've been there. You know, somebody walks up, how you doing? And we say, great, I'm fine. But we're just saying that because what we're, do, we're doing is we're trying to close the conversation down because what we really mean is I don't want to talk to you about it. I don't want to talk anymore. Leave me alone. I'm alone in my pain, so let me just shut you out. And then we, then we don't understand why the pain is so difficult to bear because you were never meant to carry it by yourself. 
So the fact is we need to be known well enough that people can know where we are. See, the problem is we, we have guarded ourselves. We built these walls and we haven't opened ourselves up. We don't have an intimate enough relationships to where, listen, I have friends that know me. Well, my best friend is my wife. I can walk in after a hard day and, and without even saying a word, she'll say what's wrong. Because she knows me so well, she knows when something is, is off. And, and we don't have very much of that in, our, in the church today. We, we, we need people to know who, who to be, we need to be known well enough that people can know where we are and, and, and even know when we're not strong enough to tell the truth who will come and love us in that moment. But you know what we also need, and this is even harder, we also need people who love us enough to call out sin, but also not just to call out sin, but to call out wandering in our lives. You remember that song? I love the, the old song, but there's one line in the song that says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. We are all prone to wander. And we need people who love us enough, who are close enough to us, that are relationships that are deep enough to sustain conflict, which is what we don't have. Because if there's any conflict, we tend to just cut, uh, you know, cut and run. That's what we do. But we need people who, who love us enough to be able to come to us and not only just say, listen, I see this sin. Can we talk about this? What, what do we need, we need to do to make this right? But when we see, they see us making decisions that are leading us in the wrong dis- direction to be able to sit down with us and say, hey, what's going on, in, what's going on here? And, and if, if we're not in close community, the track fact is that's always going to go very, very badly. Because people, we talk about this, people always handle correction I don't care how godly you are, people handle correction in one of two ways. Either you say, you're right, I'm, I'm horrible, maybe I should just give up. Or you'll, you'll look at the person and say, that's interesting that you noticed my sin because while I was looking around, I saw a few things in your life that I'd like to bring up at this moment because if we can, take, if we can make someone else the enemy, then we don't have to deal with the enemy within us. If we're going to make somebody else the enemy, then we don't have to deal with what's going on in our hearts. So we have to have deep, authentic relationships. And without them, you won't get the encouragement you need. There's so many discouraged Christians in the church today. And the biggest reason why is because they're trying to walk through life alone. They don't have deep enough relationships that they don't get the encouragement when they need it. Because nobody knows they need it. And, and if you don't have deep, authentic relationships, you definitely won't get the correction you need. Because that's even harder. It's even harder. Third thing, uh, I need to move on. I think this uh, third thing that leads to a lack of depth uh, is that although numerically there are tons of people in churches, there is a lack of submission to authority. Now, what I mean by that is that most people t- treat church like, a, like an ecclesiological buffet. You know, and so, ooh, I like the preaching here. Ooh, I like the music there. Ooh, I like the kids' ministry over there. Ooh, look at, look at that laser show. That's incredible. Or oh, they have intramural sports over there. And so we, what we do is we, we tend to kind of pick and choose, and we, we might even go to different places at times, but we will never humble ourselves under one group of leaders who then can know us deeply, whom we can know deeply, and with whom we can do life together long term. So we never really join a church. We just sort of hang out with a bunch of church people. 
And I, I think that's a problem. I, you know, I always get nervous about number four but, uh, because people mishear me. But I think the fourth reason is that there has been an overemphasis on being the light. It's been an overemphasis on that. And what I mean by that is that we tend to measure success in the church uh, by, by numbers. It's what we do. So if there are large numbers of people attending, we view that ministry as a success. And so in the, in the end, light is, is the goal. We want to be light that, that attracts, like a light that attracts, attracts flying insects. You know, that's what we, we do. So forget there being any depth of, or transformation. If we can just fill the seats, then we have succeeded. And pastors hear it from Bible colleges and seminaries and conferences, and it just carries on. And everybody's just trying to fill their churches But here's what I want you to understand. In the end, that was never the goal of Scripture. Ever. That was never God's self-disclosure of what He was after or what He wanted. What, What He wanted, I mean, sure, He wants many people getting saved. He would love to see the church filled. But what He ultimately wants is He wants the transformation of the heart. Not a bunch of people attending church every week with minimal levels of obedience to His Word. I think the other thing against us is that we live in a culture of speed. And nobody can deny this. We want it now. We want it now. We have something that I never had when I was a kid growing up. A popcorn button on a microwave. <laughs> we want it now. I mean, things, things that used to take a long time are now finished, finished in minutes, if not seconds. And I think the examples we, we gave last week were sitting on I-40 at 5 o'clock in the evening in Memphis and saying, what in the world is up with this traffic? And, and he's like, well, it's always like this. This is, you, you knew this. And you're like, and you, and you're like yeah, I know, but still. Or, or that Friday night thing where you pull up to the restaurant and send your kid in to check on the times. You remember that we talked about that? How long is it going to take? And, and they come back and say, it's, it's 45 minutes. And you're like, oh, is, are you serious? And so then we, we are, fa- my favorite act of lunacy on a Friday night is when the kid gets back in and you just drive around like you're going to magically find a nice restaurant with the, that nobody's eating at. And so we want it now. And, and we, I was honest with you last week. I'll be honest with you again. Spiritual depth crawls. It doesn't fly. It's not a super highway. It's a crawl. It's like watching your child uh, to, to see him or her grow. You don't, you don't see your child grow. You, you, can, you can stare at them all day long. You, you don't notice them adding inches. You don't see it. You don't feel it, but you can measure it. So, so that makes me wonder how many of us quit too soon. What I think happens is, you know, for example, we hear that, that, that community is a necessity that we need authentic deep relationships and so we go yeah community that's a necessity yeah i'm going to do that and then we get involved in a, a small group and we're going to cultivate intimacy with this group of people and then 3 weeks later you know uh, we we don't have when we don't have deep authentic relationships we're out because we want everything now we don't realize this is going to take some time for that to develop, it doesn't just happen overnight. And, and if it's not happening exactly the way we want it, and if it's not happening right now, we say, this just must not work. And we give up. Now, all, all of these things are working against us. That's what we said in part one, which leads us into today. Into today. So let's read Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16 again. And then we'll, uh, we're, the rest of it 
Very simple. I don't think it's going to take very long. Some of you are like, I don't believe you. But, uh, but let me read it again. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So, if salt, if being the salt of the earth is inhaling spiritually and being transformed, then being light is exhaling and breathing out that transformation. Salt is being transformed. It's, it's something that, be, it's who we are. It's what we become. And then light is breathing out those things that we have learned and the ways that we have grown. Now, I need to spend some time here chatting with you about light because I think on the whole, the majority, majority of us, when we think about being the light of the world, we think of evangelism. So we think, we think oh, okay, like knock on the door and, you know, they answer the door. And we say, if you were to die today... We, which almost sounds threatening, you know, stranger shows up at your door, you know, and a stranger on your porch saying, if you were to die today, it sounds a little scary to me. You know, I'm a stranger on your porch. If I were to kill you tonight, would you go to GC Jesus? You know, it's just a little weird. And I don't think that's a bad, you know, that's a tactic used by evangelism explosion. There's nothing bad. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, we need to do it. We need to get better at it, but we need to more fully understand what the gospel is. Honestly, I really believe this. I think that the fact that we have lost our saltiness is why evangelism dies pretty quickly in our lives. Because we feel like our lives don't match up to the gospel we proclaim. So therefore, we keep our mouths shut because we know everyone around us is going to call us out on it. But that's a whole different message. So Pastor Jason is like, oh, that's all right. I'll preach it at you later, okay? So... So, so then, although I do believe we should share the gospel with our neighbors, with our co-workers, I don't believe that that's really all that, that this text is talking about at all, but, but rather something different. So let me try to impact this. That, you know, we, the church today finds itself in a very difficult time to exist in the post-industrial revolution age. Uh, let me try to explain like this. Most churches, and this one included, want the people who attend to be obedient to the, to the gospel and to grow in their knowledge even of what obedience is. And because we live in this post-industrial society, we know how to do that. Because industrialism taught us how to create systems. It taught us how to create uh, uh, programs. And so we look at, at people who are at point A and we draw a map to point B. And then we design systems and programs to move people from point A to point B. And, and, and although it definitely has value, there, there's, a gr- there's great value in doing that. It also has sort of a wicked stepbrother that enables, then, uh, enables us to compartmental our lives, uh, compartmentalize our lives so well that you end up having no shot at really being salt, which in the end then gives you no chance at being liked. Let, let me explain to you what I'm talking about. Here at Restoration Life Church, we've we've taught often that everything you have and all that you've been given has been given to you by God for the glory of God to push back what's dark in this world. And if you have been here very long, uh, you're not saying, what? 
You know, because we've talked about that a number of times. Uh, we do that. We talk about that a lot. That's what we believe. So here's what we do. As a church, we sit back and we ask the question and say, okay, we're saying that, that, that very thing week in, week out, that, that everything you have and all that you, all that you are, that has all been given to you by, by God for the glory of God to push back darkness in the world. So then we ask then, how do we help the people of Restoration Life Church move in that direction? It's what we do as a church. We, we should help them get there. So what do we need to do? So we do a community outreach event, uh, and we call it something like the Fall Fun Fest, or, 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 or let's just use one that's coming up. We, ha- we have our turkey giveaway, and we say, we're going to serve this community, we're going to love this community, we're going to give to this community, and in that way, we're going to push back what's, what's dark in this community. We're going to give out groceries, we're going to tell people a, a, about the love of Jesus, we're going to provide this safe uh, family environment, and so I get up here and then I talk about how we can Im- impact our community, and then you respond by signing up and serving. And then, after all that's done, we get back in our car and we leave, and we were obedient, biblically, but there was no real transformation, no, no real heart for the poor that developed no real my life serves a bigger purpose than all this it's simply let me go to the turkey giveaway and, and i'm not saying we shouldn't do things like the turkey giveaway or the or the harvest festival or, or those kind of things of course of course we should absolutely we should i'm saying that it's easy to do those things out of a sense of, of, of obligation and say, since I did that, I have done my part. I have let my light shine and we compartmentalize our lives and say, I've done it here in this section of my life. Now I can move on to other things in my life. Does this, this make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? And so we, we can do those things out of a sense of obligation without ever having our hearts changed to the point where we actually are actually motivated by compassion and love to touch people for, for Christ around us. So instead of there being any real transformation that creates a life that is, it's easy to default to programs that creates a life that does. You see the difference? One is about compartmentalizing our life to do certain things. The other is transforming who we are so that we function in that way in every part of our lives. So we say we're supposed to have a heart for the poor that's been moved. And all that we have is not ours, but it's been given to us to push back what's dark in the world. So I'll get involved in the turkey giveaway. So then we think... Living the mission of God equals turkey giveaway. I did the turkey giveaway. Check. Or discipleship. Well, discipleship is going to Sunday school. I went to Sunday school. Check. And on and on and on it goes. In the end, what you have is this mechanical action that creates little to no depth. And it's a very tough spot. It's a very hard thing to, to figure out as a church because as a church, we have to create paths for people to walk. We have to do that. We have to f- figure out ways uh, to help you move down the road in your spiritual growth. But, but here's the danger in it. And we've seen this. You have seen this. I guarantee we, we have all seen this in the church. The danger comes when we begin to think that the path is the point. The path is not the point. Transformation on the path is the point. And that's why you, 
you know, you see church conflict break out all over this nation and it breaks out all the time because the paths become sacred. The paths become sacred. Oh, we've always done it like this. You can't change this. That's how we do it here. And so instead of transformation being the goal, the pathway to transformation becomes sacred and then we can't change anything. We can't do anything differently because the, how in the world can you ever grow if you, if you cancel this? Because we've, become, we've, we've become to, uh, begun to look at the pathway as sacred instead of the transformation that we're actually trying to do. And that's why there are churches today all across the land that are, that are, that are, that are still dying because they're not willing to move away from pathways that worked in one generation, but that are not working now. And the pathway is sacred. So therefore they're not helping anybody grow in the Lord. Now we don't, we don't want to be that. So I want to contrast that with some other things. I want to talk about people serving as a, as a result of, of the transformation of the heart, because you know, that happens all the time. We just don't think about it. You know, in recent weeks, right here at the church, uh, there were people who, who went out of their way to cook and to deliver meals to people who were either sick or were grieving. That's the heart of God. That's being moved with love and compassion. That's not a program. And again, programs are not bad. We need, we need the steps. Or, or I, I know of a, a group of businessmen in another city that, that take some of their own money and they go to McDonald's and buy like 50 cheeseburgers. And, and they're not that hungry, but they buy 50 cheeseburgers. And then they go to Walmart and they buy socks and underwear and other toiletries. And then they, they take all those things and spend about an hour and a half every week in the, in the poor parts of their city. And they just hand out cheeseburgers and toiletries and they pray with people. They just pray with people. That's, that's all they do. And, and they do that every week. When, and when they, for whatever reason, can't go out on the streets, then they get together and they pray for those people. And they know them. They know them by name. They know them by situation. They, they even know the ones that are homeless because they want to be and the ones that are homeless because, because catastrophe struck their life. Businessmen. They, they didn't go to seminary or anything like that. But you know what? I, I wonder what the, what the other boys in the office must think. Seriously, I mean, you have these business guys I'm sure dressed in business attire, heading down to Mickey D's to buy some cheeseburgers and then going out in the street and handing it out. People see that. That's the light of the world. And it's coming from who they are. People of compassion. It's not an event that they do. It's who they are. I I know of a man in in Idaho. He's a cardiologist. and, And he... Over the past years, and I, I'm not sure if he's still able to do this, I don't know, but he has used his own money and he, he's gone over to Vietnam multiple times every year uh, and, he, and he cares for the people of that country. He, he's been instrumental in getting a, a heart a cath lab set up over there and, and he goes over there and provides free heart care for the people of Vietnam. Listen, it isn't, this isn't what they do. This is who they are. And it's different. L- let me try to talk to you about how the light penetrates darkness. I-, I think we've been sold a little bit of a half-truth because culture 
does not get changed and impacted because we bring people here. Now, that's good. We need to because the Bible says go out into the highways and byways, compel them to come in. But it also says go and tell. See, we've been trying to do things halfway and we bought into a halfway truth of saying if we can get people to come in, then we can change the culture. But that's not how culture gets changed and impacted. Culture is changed and impacted when the people of God are moved by the gospel to such an extent that they begin to live it out in the realm of their influence. So, okay, so follow me. Businessmen in the, in the world of business, economics, finance, they who do they run with? They run with other businessmen, right? They, they hang out in the business world. And, and then the gospel penetrates their hearts. And, and now it's deepening them. It's transforming their lives. And, and as it deepens them, they begin to see things that they never saw before. They begin to see homeless people on the streets that they never noticed before. They begin to realize that they are hungry and, the, and that they can do something about it. And, and so now all of a sudden within that realm, they begin to engage society. They begin to take uh, the, the toiletries and the socks and the underwear and the food and they go out on the streets and they distribute that because that's who they are. God has made them people of, of compassion and love and they begin to engage society and they begin to engage culture and they do it right outside their office building they begin to feed poor homeless men and women on their dime using their own creativity and now what's happening is that the light of the gospel is shining in that area and whether the men uh, uh, men and women in their office come to know Christ at all we don't know but it does not change the fact that those businessmen can go into their place of business and they can boldly proclaim Jesus without shame because their very lives exude the light See, what about educators? Can you imagine what it would what happen if all the teachers who believed in Christ at a certain school got together and said, what are the issues that, here that we can address? Well, the school needs this thing, but there's no money in the budget. Well, we can, we can work together. We can raise the money. We can pull that money together. Maybe it takes us four months, but then we'll go to the principal and say, here's the money that you, you need to buy that, that thing, whatever it is. The gospel transforms lives, and then the light starts shining. You can't hide it. It's obvious in a dark world. You know, if, you, if you're in a perfectly dark room, and you light a single match, it's amazing how much light one little match puts off in the darkness. And you can't hide it. That's how the light penetrates. It doesn't penetrate by gathering people into our church building. Yes, we want them to come because we want to disciple them. But that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is, change, is life change, is transformation. Let me, let me tell you what this building is. This building is a crossroads for people from many different domains in life. And that just blows people's minds. Because where else in society can the president of a corporation get together and eat dinner with a night shift manager at Taco Bell? Nowhere. That just doesn't happen. They don't get together. They don't hang out. But you come to church and there it is. And they stand together. They sit next to each other. They, they love one another. They worship together. They go and have meals together. And, and there's no place like it in the culture. That's why uh, there's an old saying. I don't remember who said it. But, he, but the saying is this. There's nothing like the church when the church is working right. 
When we're being the salt of the earth, when we're being transformed and then that causes the light to shine without shame because we know that our lives match what we say we believe, then the light shines and, and, and then we, the, the Lord brings us together in places like this and there's no place in the world. I mean, we have so many different backgrounds here in this building today. We have people that have a history of, of drug abuse. And then we have other people in this room right now that you can't even take a full dose of NyQuil because you're, you just can't handle it. And, and here you are together in one room. We have people that have come from, from dark brokenness in their life and then we have other people that have had basically a, an easy life where they just sailed through and God gave them great parents and a great life and, and, and here we are together. There's no place like the church. It's the only place that we can come together like this. Now, that, that person that's almost impoverished and the person that has wealth are doing life together. They're helping one another. They're doing life and, and walking with one another. And, and this is unbelievably powerful for the outside world because they don't see that anywhere else. You know what? They can see, it's easy to see hatred and division in our culture right now. That's all you see. Isn't it? Imagine the impact of the people of God. Begin to rise up and become people of peace and love. And, 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 let our, and not only let our words proclaim the gospel. But make sure our lives match up to the gospel that we say we believe. It's huge. That's, that's how we're light in the world. Now, sharing the gospel is part of all that. Don't, don't fall in the trap of saying, well, I'm just letting my example uh, share my t- uh, be my witness. No, because if you don't speak the words, then they don't know why you're different. They just know you're different. And the goal is not to make them think, they're such a nice person. What a great guy. No, no, no. The goal is for them to walk, to walk away and say, man, they must serve a great God. Because our words and our actions are, have to be walking hand in hand. But, but you know what? We can talk about light till kingdom come. But if we're, if we're not being transformed from one degree of glory to, to the next, as 1 Corinthians says, then being light is just a pipe dream. You can talk about light all you want. But if you haven't been moved by the Holy Spirit of God and, and you've acted on that you know, with obedience, then it's, then it's just merely mechanical. And if it's mechanical then what's happening is you're doing rather than being. And, and I want to end this series the way, the way we started it. Where are you walking in disobedience? Where, where are you saying no to God? Where have you said, God, this part's off limits? Where have you said, God, I, I, I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to surrender to that. I'm not going to walk like that. Where are the areas of your life where you have knowledge, but you're not practicing that knowledge? And when you identify those, then I, I, I urge you, build accountability. Submit to authority. And, 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 I, and when it comes to accountability, I want to remind you, there's nobody in the world that can hold you accountable. You have to make yourself accountable. Because somebody can try to hold you accountable and ask you all the right questions. But you make yourself accountable by telling the truth. When you answer. See, because they can try to hold you accountable, but you can lie. And they say, 
say, say you're, you're, you're being held accountable. You go to a, you're a man and you go to a friend and you say, man, I just want you to know I, I, I need somebody to hold me a, to, to be accountable to because uh, I've really struggled in the area of pornography. And so that person, every time they see you, they can say, how'd you do this week? How'd you do? You know, I mean, obviously not in public. That's not how you do it. But you pull you aside and they say, how you doing? Have you, have you had any struggles this week? Now you, have the full, you, you face the decision. Are you going to make yourself accountable or are you going to lie? Because if you've struggled, you can still say, no, I've been good. And you're not accountable because you haven't made yourself accountable. So if you find an area of your life where you're struggling... Find a friend. And if you don't have a friend, begin developing a relationship that's deep enough where you can go to them and say, listen, I need some accountability in this area. I'm struggling here. And I need, you're the only person I can be honest about with this. So can you help me? Make yourself accountable. Submit yourself to authority. But then I want to continue. The second question, the same question last week. What did you give up on too soon? What has God called you to that you gave up on because it didn't happen quickly? Maybe it's just spiritual growth. And you thought, man, this is just not happening. It's just taking too long. I'm just going to just, I'll go to church, but I'm just done with all this other stuff. We've talked about healing and wholeness. You know, you, you begin your journey of healing, but you're, you're like, oh, it's been three months and I'm still struggling here. And, and it's been three months and that should transcend my 38 years of wickedness, but it hasn't. So I'm walking away. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Listen, if you will, first of all, fiercely commit yourself to being salt, to deepening to growing in the Lord, to, to not just gaining knowledge, but walking in obedience to the knowledge that you have then. If you will do that, fiercely commit yourself to that, then you will be light in the world. You will be seen. It will be impossible to hide against the backdrop of a dark, broken world. This is what God wants for us. This is what He wants for you. This is what He's called us to, to be salt and light. So let me just ask this and then, then we'll end. Mary Beth, you can come on up anytime. If Jesus said we could actually do, be this, do you think he can be trusted to lead us there? If this is what he's called us to and he says, yes, this is possible. You can transform your culture by being the salt of the earth and, and the light of the world. Don't you think that if we committed ourselves to pursuing him that he'll lead us there? He can do this. You can become this. Your life can become transformed and therefore become transformational. This is what he wants for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for how you reveal yourself to you. And I, I thank you, God, for doctrine and theology and for depth. And I thank you for, for rich, deep truths that, that force us to wrestle and cry out and maybe at times even walk with a limp. But I pray that you, you might do something in our hearts in here today and that, that we would grow tired of the boredom that, that is much of evangelical thought and, and life. I thank you, Lord, for the business people in this room and the business people watching online. Thank you for the places where you've placed them.
And God, I pray for success for them. I pray that whatever they touch would be blessed by you. But I pray, God, that even more importantly, in that domain, that they would live like there's something bigger than them. And then, God, in being obedient to you, I pray that their light would, would shine and men would glorify your name. God, I pray for lawyers. I pray for doctors. I pray for educators. I pray for janitors. I pray for for, for, for uh, uh, grocery store workers. I pray for every walk of life, all domains. Father, I pray that we would begin to see this place as, uh, th- that we come to as, as a place where, where domains and paths cross and a place, Lord God, to be encouraged, a place to be held accountable and a, a place, Lord God, where we can develop deep community. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to begin to see work as mission and home as mission and neighborhood as mission. And we're going to need your help, Lord, because we're so easily distracted and there are a lot of voices saying, saying, that are not saying this. Some, some would make theology the enemy and others would make the church herself the enemy. God, it's a dangerous day in which we live. So Lord, I pray you'd protect us. I pray, I pray just as Christ did, that, that not that you would take us out of this world, but that you'd pre- protect us from the evil one. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, and there's nobody looking around, I just want to know if there's anybody here today that would say, Pastor Dave, I, I hear the Holy Spirit talking to me about being salt and therefore letting, letting that create light that shines from my life. And you're just simply saying, Pastor Dave, I just want to make myself available to the Holy Spirit. I want, I, want, I want to do what He calls me to do. I want to be salt and I want my light to shine. I want it to be about who I am, not just what I do. And if that's you and you'd like me to pray for you, would you just slip your hand up right where you are, all over this room? Yes, several hands. And if you're online and you're watching this, just, just signify by putting a hand emoji on there. Just let us know so we can pray for you. Father, you see every hand that's raised. And Lord, first of all, we acknowledge that this is not a fast track. This is not something that we pray about today and all of a sudden everything is good and everything is great. But Lord, this is the beginning of a, of a crawl, uh, the beginning of growth that can't be seen but can be measured over time. And God, I pray that you would help us today, Lord God, to begin to take seriously your call to be the salt of the earth and that we would not just have knowledge, but God, that we would really seek to live it out in everyday life in small ways. Holy Spirit, lead us because sometimes we don't really even know how to do that. But God, in those moments where we need to, to, to be salt, I pray God that you would, you would show us what the right thing is. Show us what your word says and God, that we would make the choice to obey. And God, as we do that and as we begin to serve with love and compassion people around us because you've changed our hearts and we're not doing it out of a sense of obligation anymore, but we're doing it because you've genuinely caused us to love these, the people around us, then God, I pray that that light would shine and you would be glorified in whatever uh, sphere of influence we live, wherever we work, wherever we live, wherever we shop, wherever we hang out. God, that you would let your light shine through us. God, we just offer ourselves to you. We are humble, we are weak, but you are strong. And I pray, God, that you would let your light shine through us.
And we ask all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.